Hello, and welcome back to Wisconsin Law in Action, a podcast where we discuss new and forthcoming scholarship with University of Wisconsin Law School professors. I'm your host, Chris Turner, and my guest today is the Head of Reference and Scholarly Services at the University of Wisconsin Law Library, Elizabeth Manriquez. In this role, she supervises an incredible team of reference librarians, oversees the management of the UW Law School Digital Repository, and works with faculty to improve the discoverability of their scholarship. Today, we'll discuss, among other things, the fifth anniversary of the launch of the UW Law School Digital Repository, how that's developed, how it works, and research collections that are now featured there in the repository. Thank you for joining the podcast today, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure, I'm looking forward to discussing all things repository. It's a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, for sure. Definitely. So let's start our discussion today by learning a bit more about your background. What is your professional experience and what led you to your work on scholarly visibility and digital repositories? Sure. So um, I've been here at the University of Wisconsin since the fall of 2019. Um, I began as the scholarly communications librarian, and um, we can talk a little bit more about what led me to that in a moment. But before I came to Wisconsin, I was... um, a research librarian and assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I did my directed field work at George Washington Law Library in DC before that. I really became interested in repositories in library school. So I went to the University of Washington in Seattle and immediately fell in love with all things libraries and wanted to know everything about everything. I was in a cohort with six other people, and I was the only one who expressed any kind of interest in learning the system that they used at the UW, the other UW. And that was Digital Commons, which is um, a BE Press product. The librarians there were more than willing to indulge me in my interest and let me take over the uploading and taught me about metadata and really um, ignited the fire uh, that is my love of repositories and scholarly visibility. And we're grateful to the UW librarians over there on the Pacific coast for igniting (laughs) such a great interest and providing the foundation for you. So thanks, Washington, if you're out there listening right now. Thank you, Mary Wisner. (laughs) Now let's learn about the development of the scholarly visibility program here at UW, meaning UW Wisconsin law. Why is this important and what steps do you take to ensure that faculty work is discoverable by researchers? Sure. So scholarly visibility has become a hot topic in librarianship, I would say, in the past like seven or eight years. But it really took off when the U.S. News announced that they were going to start implementing a scholarly metrics into their um algorithm for determining the rankings of law schools. Um, And with that announcement, uh, scholarly communications and uh, repositories really took a front seat in librarianship. And the reason for that is because it was a very specific way that libraries could demonstrate utility to the faculty and also really beef up the kind of services that are available in libraries to boost scholarly visibility. And there's a lot of concrete ways that we can do that. And mostly it just involves best practices and having somebody dedicated to do doing the work, which it sometimes can be tedious, but for people like myself that are very detail oriented, I really enjoy doing that kind of work. So here at Wisconsin, before I arrived, I know that yourself and Bonnie Shuka, the director, really started the scholarly visibility program and laid a a fantastic framework for the work that I do on the daily basis. And that's just really employing some methods that we've learned from 
computer science generally, like metadata and something called link data, and employing it in the library work that we were already doing to enrich faculty scholarship for the entire cycle of their scholarship. And a big part of that enrichment is having a healthy digital repository. Can you tell us about the UW Law Digital Repository, specifically some of the foundational collections that are featured in it? Sure. So I couldn't be more proud of the repository we have here at the University of Wisconsin. First, I'd like to say that it's unique because it's based um, in an open source platform known as Omeka. We are one of the few schools that do not have a digital commons repository. And I think that we've really distinguished ourselves by using an open source platform. By doing that, we're able to accept collections that are a little bit more cultural heritage as opposed to just straight faculty scholarship, which is the emphasis of digital commons. And some of those cultural heritage collections we have um, would be the first collection that was launched uh, five years ago, and that's the Bhopal collection which is a really impressive collection of papers and news clippings and materials collected by one of our faculty members, Mark Alanter, who is just a lion in the field of legal realism. And so this collection is unique in that it brings all these materials together and it's utilized by researchers all across the world. But this type of partnership is just one example of a collection that we have. We've also partnered with outside stakeholders like the Wisconsin State Law Library, the Madison Office of Equal Opportunities Commission. And what we've done for them is create collections of documents such as uh, Wisconsin Briefs. We have an extensive Wisconsin Briefs collection that is used every day by people from across the state to access primary law documents. And similarly, the MIA Decision Digest Collection features, again, primary law documents that make them accessible and more discoverable for people who are just trying to learn and do basic legal research, but may not be aware of the different outlets that are available to them. So what are some of the challenges that you face as a repository manager? I think my uh, biggest challenge is just not having enough time. What we're really trying to capture in the repository is current faculty scholarship, but also we have a rich collection of archival documents from the law school that we would love to have uh, people have access to, to get them out on the internet. And the question is just really having enough time to do all of the wonderful collections that we would like to do. For the past couple of years, we've been concentrating on two collections that will be coming out very soon. We could talk about them in a little bit, but we have so many collections in the hopper that are just waiting for researchers to access. So lack of time is probably one of my biggest challenges. But again, that correlates with um, a repository manager has to be able to manage several projects at the same time. I'm lucky to serve on a team of other professionals who all have expertise that help make the repository as great as it is. And so managing different projects with people working on different parts all at the same time can be challenging for people who are not used to long-term planning, but also being aware of like short-term goals. And those of you that have listened to the podcast in the past always hear me mention at the end that all the faculty scholarship, all the faculty we have on here have their materials in the repository. And that's thanks to the management of Liz. So we appreciate that very much, Liz. It helps make everyone find the materials much more easily. So I just wanted to call that out. We'll, we'll link to all these different collections that Liz is mentioning as well on the podcast page. But getting back to our questions, the UW Law School officially launched its repository in February of 2018. What has changed since then? 
in 2018, repositories and law schools generally were just really concentrated on getting all the content in there. And at all the institutions that I've been at, the push at that time was really, let's be as comprehensive as possible. We have to track down as much scholarship as possible. We want to be the stop for um, faculty scholarship. And now that that push has subsided, the UW repository, along with other repositories, are more concentrated on best practices and discoverability. And so that's what a lot of the work that I do now is, which is um, adding enriched metadata, linking profiles, employing different um, search engine optimization techniques to make the material that we have available in the repository more discoverable for researchers and just generally fine tuning and making the collections look good, making them work the way that we want them to. We have the content there and what we're doing now is just enriching it. Yeah. And I remember those early days, Jared Boguki, who is one that works with closely to make this work. And we were just dumping buckets of content in there. And Liz has taken that and refined it and made it much more usable. So we greatly appreciate it, Liz. So does everyone that uses the repository. Bye. So, enjoy doing it. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad, we're, <laughs> I'm glad we're, in the, we're in sync right there. So you're the manager of the repository. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but what roles do other library staff play in developing the repository's collections? Sure. It takes a village to make the repository work as well as it does. And so the committee consists of Jared, who you mentioned, who does all of the IT work, all of the programming, all of your big, heavy tech tasks. We're also joined by Katie Dunn, who is our electronic services librarian, and her knowledge of metadata and ability to converse with IT in a way that I can't always do is invaluable. Sometimes when we're in meetings, it's like she's translating for, you know, the reference librarians who are in attendance with the computer people who are in attendance. And that's just a really special skill. We're also joined by Emma Babbler, who is our technology and reference librarian. She's a whiz at detail-oriented tasks. She's been working in the repository since she was a student worker and has done much of the scanning. So Emma's fingers have been on a lot of the collections and she is really great at detail work. And then, of course, there's myself and you. I manage the everyday processes of the repository while you're kind of the big person overlooking all of it <laughs> and making Thank, sure thanks, it's I in think. line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and currently, we're joined by our student intern who is a uh, library student, and she's learning about best practices and workflows. And it's really exciting to be able to help the next generation of scholarly visibility librarians. Yep. And we've had several iSchool library school students come through and help out and learn about the ins and outs of repository work, but also just students in general that have helped us organize and scan in the physical materials that are becoming the repository collections. But it's a great group to work with. I'm glad I'm the big man on campus, I guess, and <laughs> able to sit back and watch all the magic happen. It's great. I think that key part of it, the the student workers that we have, the library interns that we have are really important for every academic library who's doing this kind of work, because I believe strongly that scholarly visibility and communications is a huge part of the future of libraries. And to be able to work with and educate and mentor the librarians who are coming after me, I think is really important. It's one of the most important things that I do. I agree. I think that that mentoring is extremely important just to see how we're doing things and how they can build on what we're doing right exactly. now. Exactly. So we'll get back to those new collections in a minute. 
But let's first talk about scholarly visibility and repositories and how they're going to be developing in the coming years. What do you see happening over the next months and years for scholarly visibility and repositories? I think this is a really exciting time to be a librarian. There's a lot of systems that are changing. There's a lot of innovation um, that is happening in libraries, and that is changing the face of the work that we do. And um, librarians are having to learn a lot more technical and data-centric skills um, just because everything is online. So librarians have always worked to make materials more discoverable, like from the time that Mark was invented and we've had catalog records. All of those systems were designed specifically to, so that end users could find materials. And so librarians are just doing that same work now, but we're doing it on the internet. And so we're using a lot of internet practices to improve the discoverability of our resources. And I think that that's just going to continue. We have AI and other innovations coming to the internet and librarians are just going to have to adapt to all of these new programs and use them to our advantage. And I think that's what a lot of um, scholarly communications librarians are doing right now. We're working with like persistent identifiers, just employing a lot of best practices that you see in computer and data science and giving them our librarian touch. Can you uh, define for me a little bit more what persistent identifiers are and why they're so important? Sure. Persistent identifiers, um, for an example, something would be like a DOI, which is a digital object identifier. And what it is, is something that would identify that specific item perpetually on the internet so that you don't have things like broken links or 404 errors. And there's different types of persistent identifiers. Um, there's identifiers for people, there's identifiers for items, there's identifiers for web pages. And in all instances, persistent identifiers should be used because the internet is forever, but not every link within it is in. So it's really our job to make sure not only are the items discoverable today, but into the future as well. That's another way to preserve things except online for access. That's great. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about those new collections that we've alluded to a couple of times that we're so excited about. What will be featured in the repository in the coming months? One of the most exciting collections that we have coming up is the collection of Herman Goldstein's papers. Herman Goldstein was a professor at the University of Wisconsin and was integral in the creation of problem-oriented policing. This is a concept that he created and worked his entire career to uh, bring to the forefront and is really just a fantastic collection and body of work. And we're so honored to have had these personal papers donated to us by Professor Goldstein's son. We've been working with Mark Goldstein as well as other professionals that Herman Goldstein worked with during his career and was close to. And this is such a unique collection that I know researchers have just been chomping at the bit to get access to. And I think that the whole uh, concept of problem-oriented policing is a very um, timeless one that people can relate to today. And I'm hoping to see a whole lot of use out of this collection. It's going to be an extremely popular collection, about 800 plus items already that are almost ready to be available to everybody. And I look forward to sharing it very soon with everyone. Watch your emails, watch for announcements on that. Uh, any other upcoming collections you'd like to talk about? So in the next few months, we'll be debuting a collection that we've been working on very hard for about three years. In 2020, we received a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Service Services for the digital publication of tribal laws 
pilot project. And this is a unique project that there's a huge space for. And basically we're, we're serving as a backup to the codification of the laws of tribes here in Wisconsin. There is a real access to justice issue when it comes to um, accessing primary law, when it comes to tribal law and Indian codes and native laws. Many times their laws have not been codified. And even if they have been codified, they're not available online. There is a whole cultural aspect when it comes to accessing indigenous law and having them trust you with their laws and their traditions. And so this has been a big barrier for people both on reservations and people trying to do legal research off of reservations. And so we're hoping that this type of project by making the laws more easily accessible and readily available online, that this will help bridge part of that problem. Right now, we've partnered with two tribes and we'll be um, making their code available within our repository in the coming months. And we're hoping to expand and have this serve as a pilot project for other um, libraries and other tribes to make their laws, um, publishing their laws on platforms like ours. It's hard for me to say whether I'm more excited for the Goldstein Collection or for the Tribal Code. They're both very different, but very unique and valuable collections that will be freely available to anybody. What else do you have more you'd like to share with us for new collections? Uh, more about collections. Well, we also just finished digitizing a collection of briefs from one of our faculty members, Keith Finley. These are briefs from his career in, with the Innocence Project. And they, again, a very unique collection that we're so happy that we, our faculty member is trusting us with this collection. And that touches on a, a topic that I think is really important in both scholarly communications and repositories is the relationship building. Anybody who is thinking of coming into this line of work really has to be able to succeed in outreach because it's all about relationship building, specifically even talking about like the tribal laws project. It's about people trusting you with their scholarship, with their laws, knowing that you're going to provide a persistent place for their work and that you're going to work to make it as discover as possible. It takes a lot of confidence and trust in people. And I think that um, we have that here at the University of Wisconsin, and it really shows in the rich depth of collections that we have. And we've definitely, in my opinion, earned that trust. We're gonna hold on to this collection, make sure it has a permanent safe home and that we're a valid place to deposit these materials. You started to answer this last question. What advice would you have for law faculty or law librarians looking to make their work or their faculty's work more visible to researchers? So um, my advice for faculty and for librarians would be different. Um, my life advice to faculty is always to reach out to your librarian. <laughs> Good advice. Um, yeah. Uh, law faculty are sophisticated researchers and they're super intelligent people and they each have their subject specialty, but repositories and discoverability, that's my specialty and that's other librarians specialty. So trust the experts. And, you know, if you have questions, just reach out. Everybody knows librarians are the most approachable, friendly people. And we want, we genuinely just want to help you. As far as librarians, I would say, do what you can with the time that you have, because every little bit helps. Uh, a huge topic in scholarly visibility is the creation of online profiles 
there are various uh, platforms that you can do that on. That's one small thing that you can do to make a big difference in the visibility of your faculty scholarship. So I would say start there, then work to metadata. We do a lot of work with backend metadata, you know, and it's things that usually people can't see. If I'm doing my job correctly, nobody sees the effort that I'm putting in. All they see is their results at the top of the search page. And so, you know, you really just have to um, be attentive to best practices. What's the scholarship coming out? What are the studies saying? And the biggest thing that the studies saying are right now is linking. And that linking occurs with metadata and with scholarly profiles. And where can researchers find more of your work? I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> In the repository. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> that's the place to keep your work. I think that's the yes, takeaway here. <laughs> well, we've been discussing the five-year anniversary of the UW Law School Digital Repository with Liz Manriquez, the head of reference and scholarly support at the UW Law Library. We'll link to Liz's scholarship on our podcast page. Thank you very much for joining the podcast today, Liz. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Certainly. I had just as much fun as you, if not more. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. For a complete listing of Liz's work, visit the University of Wisconsin Law School repository. Find these links and all of our previous podcasts at wilawinaction.law.wisc.edu. Stay up to date on Wisconsin Law School scholarship by subscribing to this podcast via the Apple iTunes store or follow either at Wisconsin Law or at UW Law Profs on Twitter for updates on faculty news and publications. See you next time and happy researching.